So today we're talking about love, which is an important conversation to have in our day and time. And the reason why is because we don't even know what we mean when we talk about love anymore. Um, The word love has been vandalized um, by its overuse. It's been cheapened, I guess you could say. We use the word so much that it's lost its meaning. So this week, in preparation for the sermon, I did my best to try and catch myself throughout the week and take note of the the ways I use the word love. Of course, I said I love you to my kids and my wife, and that's a powerful statement of love. But I also said I love Chipotle, although my love for Chipotle must never be underappreciated, I hope it's much different than my love for my family. Several occasions, I said, I love it. I don't know what it is. It's just if my emotions were stirred or um, I was happy about something or excited about something, I just love it. So apparently there's just some it out there that I love. Um, First half last night, I hate this team. Second half last night, I love this team. So apparently my love is a fickle and conditional. And on and on I can go with these examples. Love's overused. And because it's so overused, we don't even know what it is. And so when we hear Jesus say to us that he has a command, a new, a central command, it's to love one another. What does that even mean? This is an important question to answer now because it's going to be a major theme the rest of the discourse. By way of setting the scene, look at verse 33 because this is actually, it doesn't seem like a big verse, but it is. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me just as I said to the Jews. So now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, if you remember last week, um, from, our, from the sermon last week, um, Jesus had kind of this rapturous Trinitarian moment where he reflected on his love for the Father, the Father's love for him, and the Father's soon to glorify him. But he comes out of that moment by now considering what it will mean for his followers. And what you see here is that Jesus is a little torn He is eager for his resurrection, ascension, and to be reunited with his father. But it means he will have to leave his followers behind. And you can sense his his, uh, conflicted tenderness by this very unconventional address. He says, little children, my little children, where I'm going, you cannot come. And then, and this is why the verse is so important. It's not a stretch to say that the rest of the discourse is in reaction to that statement. Little children, I have to leave. You can't come with me. So here is what I want you to know before I leave. That's the upper room discourse. He will talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He will talk about hatred from the world. He will talk about overcoming the world. He will talk about how to abide with me even though I'm not here. He will talk about a lot of things, but the major thing he talks about is love. And it begins here. He has a command, one 
central command that he wants his followers to obey above all else. One command that he wants to inform and form the community of his people. And not surprisingly, his command for them flows out of the reflection he just made about his relationship with the Father. He rejoices in the eternal love that dominates the life of the Trinity. And now he wants that same love to dominate the life of this community. But again, what does he mean by love? Well, he's going to tell us this morning in two ways. In verse 34, we will see love's new standard. In verse 35, we will see love's new outcome. First, love's new standard in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now, what's interesting about this is that Jesus calls it a new command. Is that really a new command? Love one another? What's new about that? The answer is nothing. Love for others has always been prioritized in Scripture. During our Old Testament reading, that's why I had us read that there's an entire section of Levitical code that talks about loving each other, love for your neighbor. And even outside of Scripture, every religion, even secular neo-Darwinism embraces some form of altruism. You're going to have a hard time finding any religion or any philosophy that doesn't espouse love for others. All of us believe in some capacity that it's good to love others. So does Jesus really think that he's come up with something new here when he says love each other? Well, Jesus is not introducing a new concept. He's introducing a new standard. Verse 34 says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another And this is where it changes. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. What's new about the command to love is that Jesus himself has become the definition of love. He says to his followers, your job is to love each other the way I have loved you. Now at first, that is incredibly intimidating. Good old-fashioned kindness and manners is one thing, but... I have to love others the way Jesus has loved me seems overwhelmingly impossible, and it is. You will fail. I will fail. This community will fail. But thankfully, Jesus' love will never fail. That is, his ability to love can handle your failure to love. So let that remove, just from the beginning, let that remove the burden of perfection here, okay? Because it's crippling to think I have to love the way Jesus has loved me. How could I ever possibly do that? But that's not necessarily the point. The point is I not the point is not I have to love as well as Jesus loves. That's impossible. He loves greater than anyone. The point is I have to love like Jesus loves in the same manner that Jesus loved. I have to do love like Jesus did love, meaning let his love become our new paradigm of love. So how did Jesus love his disciples? That's the standard. That's the definition. How did Jesus love his disciples? I think this is really important because it's a neglected subject in the church. There are a lot of books and sermons about um, biblical uh, marital love being written. In fact, we're hosting a conference in a couple weeks about marriage and parenting, singleness. We're talking about 
that kind of love. And I'm really excited that, that this definition of covenantal marital love is being recaptured. I, it's, it's exciting to see and it's good. And there's a lot of books and a lot of sermons being preached. But what's neglected and not talked about enough is how are we supposed to love each other? I know how to love my wife, or at least I know what I'm supposed to be doing. How do I love the person in the pew next to me? How do I love the person in this church that's not like me, that gets on my nerves, that's hurt me? How do we love? That's what Jesus is talking about here, and that's why it's so important. And this is what he says. He says, the same way I have loved the community... He had a small little community just like ours, the 12 disciples. In the same way I have loved you, you must love each other. Now, how did Jesus love the disciples? My goodness, that we could go on and on forever about that. But I'm going to sum it up for us um, in two ways. And, I, and there's a reason why, because I think again and again, um, these two components are central to biblical love. And Jesus is even described explicitly with these. What you will find in Jesus is a love that perfectly balances the components of grace and truth. In fact, that's a direct quote from John himself. When John introduces Jesus way back 13 chapters before, in chapter 1, when John introduces Jesus in his gospel, he introduces him as full of grace and truth. And then when you watch Jesus love his disciples, which is what he's asking us to do. He's saying, I want you to love like I've loved them. So how did he love them? When you watch Jesus love his disciples, what you will see is that play out in the fullest of ways, the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth. His grace with his disciples is unbelievable. So much patience with their failures. So much gentleness and kindness and mercy and tenderness and forgiveness. All of these things that embody grace. But at the same time, he loves them with an equal amount of truth. This is an underappreciated part of Jesus' ministry. So much strength. So much challenge. So much correction. So much confrontation. So much justice and, and, and what is right and rebuke and all of these things that embody truth. When you look at Jesus, he is always compassionate but never compromising. He is eager to forgive but very firm. He's never rejecting but at times rebuking. He is full of grace and truth. And what you need to know is that love demands both. Love that is grace without truth is enabling. Love that is truth without grace is bullying. And I see a lot of people who think love is all grace at the exclusion of truth and they tend to enable the ones that they are actually called to love. I also see a lot of people who think love is all truth at the exclusion of grace and they tend to bully the ones that they are called to love. Likewise, I see this play out in church communities. If you look at churches, often you will find that community tends to fall off on one of these two ends of love. There are churches that are incredibly devoted to being a community of grace, but they aren't helping their people because they won't tell the truth. There are churches that are incredibly devoted to being a community of truth, 
but they're hurting their people because there's no grace. And then there's Jesus and his perfect love, full of grace and truth. So just here, um, now, um, I usually do this at the end of the sermon, but I'm just going to pause here because this is, this is where I think it would be good to talk application. Um, will you evaluate your life? And maybe a better question it would be, would you, will you allow your life to be evaluated? <laughs> you, evalu- you evaluating your life is one thing, but asking those around you to evaluate your life is another. Will you evaluate your life and ask which of these two you gravitate toward? If we have parish groups tonight, I would have us to, that would be our question for discussion. Um, but we can hold that for another day. Maybe just with your family, friends, whatever. Which of those two do you gravitate toward? When it comes to your love, are you more of a grace person or truth person? Is our community enabled by your definition of love or is our community being hurt by your definition of love? Repentance for you is not, and this is important, Repentance for you is not to renounce what you do, but to improve upon what you struggle to do. You understand what I'm saying there? In other words, if you're a grace person, please don't give that up. That's beautiful. And what we need from you, only add to it truth, right? Don't give up your tenderness. Don't give up your compassion. Don't give up your kindness. Just be willing to have the courage to also tell the truth to people even if it might offend them. Which if you're the the grace person, that's probably your greatest fear is to offend someone. Or conversely, if you're the truth person, please don't be ashamed of that and certainly don't compromise that. We need that. Retain your passion and courage for what is right and true. Only please add to it gentleness as you speak truth. Please add to it patience with others as they struggle with truth and so forth. So in talking application, I'm not asking you to stop the way you love. I'm only asking you to cultivate greater love. I'm not asking you to stop how you love. I'm asking you to add to the way you love. And if we all commit to doing that, it will form a community that does love like Jesus, full of grace and truth. And when that happens to a community, when the fullness of love expressed takes place within a community, something extraordinary happens. Let's turn now to verse 35 and see love's new outcome. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, that's interesting too. It's interesting that he called it a new command. This is an interesting outcome of the new commandment. Why does Jesus want us to love each other like this? What's his purpose in prioritizing love as the greatest aim of his community? There are a lot of good answers that we should expect there, right? If I were writing verse 35, it'd be like, by this, um, you will help other people. By this, you will save the lost. By this, you will heal your community. And on and on, we could go with the benefits of love like this. But Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. That's a strange outcome that Jesus is after. Why does he care so much that people know that we are his disciples? Well, it isn't merely an identity thing. It's not, he's not just after them being able to say, oh, they're Christians. 
He doesn't just want all people to know that we are his disciples. He wants all people to know him. And they will know him by knowing that we, the people of love, are his disciples. Again, Jesus is about to leave the world, right? So this begs the question, how will a world that is desperate to know Jesus come to know Jesus if Jesus is leaving? The answer he gives repeatedly, and the scriptures give repeatedly, is that the world will know Jesus through the community of Jesus, through the people of Jesus. We are his representation. We are his ambassadors to the world. And what does he want the representation to look like? Love. The priority of love. In a world with so much love confusion, with so much love brokenness, with so much love messiness, Jesus wants a new kind of love to emerge, his love full of grace and truth. Therefore, it is important to him that we do love like this. Not necessarily because of what it will do for us, though it will do many things for us, but, but most of all because of what it will do for the world. Namely, it will reclaim love. Notice the expanse of his language here. By this, all people will know. That all people, if you're familiar with scripture, that all people is a loaded missional term. Abrahamic covenant, all people will be blessed. The coming of the Messiah, good news of great joy for all people. And on and on the all people emphasis goes. His command for his people to love each other is not about each other. It's about the world. He says, by this, all people will know. All people will know my love if you do love this way. He wants a community that embodies his love so that the world will encounter the love it so desperately needs. The love the world was created to have and to know in the first place. The love that eternally has existed within the Trinity as we saw last week. And a love that overflowed into the creation that was then invited to share in God's love. But a love that the world rebelled against and plunged us into a miserable history of failed love. And now Jesus is calling his community to redefine love again according to its truest design. This isn't a new kind of love after all. This is the redemption of original love. This is the love the world was made by and for. And we are its ambassadors. So Jesus wants the world to know his love. Therefore, he calls upon his disciples to embody this love so that people, all people, will encounter his love full of grace and truth. And nowhere... Nowhere is that love clearer than in what Jesus is about to do. Remember last week, the context of this passage is Judas has gone out. And the chain of events that leads to Jesus' death has begun. I said at the beginning that we are so confused when it comes to the word love. It's used for everything and misused in so many ways, and it's left us bewildered and confused and desperate for a true, concrete definition. What is love? Well, the answer to that is Jesus, but most specifically the cross of Jesus. Behold on Calvary's tree the fullness of grace and truth. Nowhere is truth declared so clearly. The cross indicts us 
The cross confronts us. The cross rebukes us. The cross has the courage to tell the truth and to say most boldly that you are a sinner who needs a Savior. And yet nowhere is grace declared so clearly. The cross says, indeed, it is true, it's true, that you are a sinner, that this is who you are, but truer still is God's grace for who you are. You are a sinner, that is true, but Jesus loves you still, and that is grace. And so in the cross is this convergence of truth and grace. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you want to know what we would say love is, Love is the cross, the fullness of truth and grace, the love that you need. You don't need a love that is all true and no grace that will crush you. You don't need a love that is all grace without truth that will ruin you. You need a love that will tell you the truth and give you grace. And that is our Savior, and that is our cross. Jesus is full of grace and truth. And that grace and truth is fully manifested in the cross. Now we, the people of Jesus, the people of the cross, are witnesses of his love by obeying his new command, which is simply the original command. Love one another as I have loved you. Let me pray. Help us, Lord, to live this, embody this as a community where we struggle. Lord, forgive us and cultivate in us a love that is full of grace and truth, which would create a community full of grace and truth, which our city is so desperate to find. Help us to be that answer to the world. Let them see in us a love that the world is desperate to find. And now, Lord, proclaim the grace and truth of your gospel to our hearts through the sacrament we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.